Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to TV Concierge, the Rare's guide to the vast streaming landscape. I'm Juliette Littman. Today, I'm here with the co-host of The Big Picture, Sean Fennessy. Hi, Sean. Hi, Juliette. My knives are sharpened. I'm ready to talk with you. Knives out. A different kind of knives out. We're here to talk about Top Chef, the 21st century phenomenon on Bravo. I believe it started in 2005, way back when, when the two pillars of Bravo were Project Runway and Top Chef both shows still on and it has remained like the like one of the most important and best reality shows since it started one of the only reality shows that gives you like legitimate career bump and cachet in the profession from which you came and which you returned to unlike in the bachelor where it's like you leave your desk job to become an influencer um sean (laughs) why do you think it's had so much staying power you know, I don't quite know. I I think that there are a couple of explanations for it. One is I think we've become a much more food literate culture in, in the mm. 21st century. I think people have become much more interested in the mechanics behind not just cooking at home, but restaurant touring and what it means to be a gifted chef and the kind of idolatry that, that grows around certain chef cultures. So I think that's one reason in particular. But two, I think these competition shows with these great structures they're very enduring. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Survivor at the Ringer this season. There are a handful of shows, The Bachelor, obviously, you are the doyen of The Bachelor. You're like, there are a couple of formats that are like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune for our generation. They're just, I suspect they're going to be with us for 50 years. And it's, I think Top Chef is, is in that class. I agree with that. The show is able to be the brightest star, though Padma and Tom and Gail are really wonderful. But ultimately, it's like the competition itself. And, and it's one of the... It's that and Survivor are the only two shows where winning like really means a lot. Like if you win Top Chef, it does change your life, not just for the money, but like it, it's it's like it's a career sort of super boost. It's almost like going into like a real life video game if you're a chef and coming out with like the power up or whatever. I don't know a lot about video games, so I'm not sure why I chose that metaphor. <laughs> I think you metaphor. nailed that. That's perfect. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Thank and you. I think because because I think so many aspiring chefs, their ultimate goal is to open their own restaurant or or series of restaurants and the kind of the cachet that the win brings along with the money that the win brings is is unique to that field. Survivor, there's no professional survivoring other than returning to Survivor on other seasons. On The Bachelor, you talked about making the transition to influencers, but Top Chef is is almost literally a springboard to the thing that most chefs aspire to. And that gives it some some real world heft that some of these other shows don't have. 
So we're currently in the middle of an all-star season. It's all-stars LA. Everyone on it has not won. And so they all have something that they want to prove. And there's some really impressive chefs, like really impressive. So there's uh, Brian Voltaggio, who's probably like among the biggest, but most understated stars of this franchise. Have you been to a Brian Voltaggio restaurant? You know, I haven't. I've been to a restaurant by his brother, Michael Voltaggio, but never by any of Brian's restaurants. Pre-coronavirus, closed, sad. Um, sad. I see I see Michael Voltaggio at SoulCycle, pre-coronavirus as well. <laughs> He's a front row guy. Um, <laughs> so there's Brian Voltaggio. There's Kevin Gillespie, who has been just sort of like around for so long that last night, I, I realized, I said it in last night's episode, that he was on the same season as Brian, which was a long time ago. I think it was in 07. And I thought Kevin was like way more recent because he's got so much vivacity to him that I couldn't yeah. believe he's been around this long. Um, he's still a got, baby face. Yeah, totally. There's Gregory, who is just like obviously incredibly accomplished. And then some real surprises, like Melissa King is having an like incredible season. And uh, Karen already came back from Last Chance Kitchen. There's some really, really talented chefs right now. But still, I don't think any of those people are nearly as famous as the concept or the show of Top Chef, which is like, I think, ultimately why a season that's all all stars is kind of like exciting at the beginning, but then quickly descends and just being like a regular Top Chef episode, uh, season. No, I think that's true. I, I was anticipating this season a lot. I anticipate every season. I've watched every season of Top Chef. It's consistently one of my favorite shows. It almost never lets you down. There's a few reasons for that. But I was most interested in this season, not because of the all-star conceit, which we've seen before on Top Chef and is well-worn across the reality competition spectrum, but because it was set in L.A., and it it is, I think, an authentically good rendition of what the L.A. food scene looks like for better and worse. You know, we're seeing in the early episodes we saw a tribute to Jonathan Gold. There are food trucks that you and I have eaten at. There are smaller restaurants. There is a, a, a depth of ethnic cooking that is spotlit on this show that is pretty meaningful. But also you get the kind of hoity-toity, odium, high class, this sort of, you know, the the attempts at elegance that... LA is always reaching for but never quite getting on this show and it always strikes me that it finds a way to balance what the food culture of a city is and that isn't always a good thing and so it's been fun to kind of see both sides of LA through the lens of this competition show. That's a great point and also kind of gets back again to the role of Top Chef in the cooking world because we were talking about how it started in 05 which is sort of right before the celebrity chef became a thing. And I think there's a kind of a chicken or an egg with Top Chef. It's like, did the celebrity chef arise because of Top Chef and other TV chefs? Or did Top Chef become bigger as people cared more about who chefs were? And obviously, there's people like Anthony Bourdain and, of course, our Ringer Podcast Network colleague, David Chang, and Nancy Silverton, who's been on this season, and so many others. But the, I think there is a real question of, like, did those people get famous because of Top Chef introduced the idea? Or is it vice versa? Or are they just, like, so intertwined that you can't even tell? I don't. I, I think don't know they're the harmonious. I think it worked together very elegantly because there has always been the the sort of the Jacques Pepin, the 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 famous chef, you know, right. the well known chef. But the well known chef as media star is a relatively new phenomenon. And one of the things that Top Chef did is it created a kind of cultural literacy for who the icons of cooking are and were. And it, the show introduces guest judges frequently that are people, whether they're in their native city or state or just people from around the world, you know, you'll see like your, the Jeremiah Hightowers of the world will show up on this show and you'll get And they're a, so excited to see them. They're like, yes, yes. Jeremiah Hightower. 
exactly. You know, it's it's like uh, Quentin Tarantino comes to the ringer. You know, we're like, holy damn, but he's here. This is crazy. And it's a unique and smart way, I think, not just to excite the competition, but to teach people. I mean, people like me, I, I'm not a food historian. I'm not. I, I love going to restaurants, but I'm not incredibly sophisticated about that world. And so I like getting that kind of micro window into it. And it's not inauthentic to the competition. There's a reason for those people frequently to be there and to weigh in on the food. And it also, it kind of flattens things too, because it's good food is good food. And the way that the show is organized is so unique to other competition shows. Because even if someone like Kevin Gillespie, as you mentioned, appears on the show, we know he's one of the best chefs that's ever appeared on Top Chef. In this season, he has been pretty dominant and has emerged as really one of the great alumni of all time. And in a most recent episode, he really struggled. And even though there are eight or nine people still left in the game, he got his head chopped off. Yeah. So let's talk about last night. What happened? What reminded me of sort of like the trends of, of sort of the waves of did Top Chef start the wave or is it riding the wave is last night Restaurant Wars was held at the Row in DTLA, yes. which... Padma really tried to sell. And I would say the row is like just a, a, a retail failure. And I, I think it's probably <laughs> even worse now than before. And so it was really funny to see Top Chef like immersed in that space, but it also is a perfect setting for Restaurant Wars. The row is basically converted warehouse space to into a mall, the most LA thing possible. Um, and so they used a couple of the empty stores to be the two restaurants. One was helmed by Kevin and one by Gregory. Gregory's was called Khan and it was uh, his vision of Haitian food. And Kevin's was called the country captain, which was his take on um, his grandmother's Southern cooking. They both the previous week had pitched them and won in the pitch process. And you just knew that was going to be the kiss of death. It's like, do you even want to win this pitch process? Because it, typically in restaurant wars where the chefs have anywhere from 48 to 72 hours to stand up an entire restaurant, Someone either from the front of the house or the executive chef goes home and pretty much like never anything in between. So right away, Kevin and Gregory, two of the best chefs, definitely top five of the season, were in the firing line. And I thought Gregory made a, a bold. And at the time when he made it, I thought foolish and ultimately proved to be incredibly strategic and insightful move in drafting his team. So Restaurant Wars, there are four phases. There is the executive chef. There are two chefs who are essentially running the line behind the scenes. And then there is front of house, someone who essentially greets and seats people who are entering this makeshift restaurant. And Gregory had the second overall pick in this draft. And he selected longtime Top Chef alumni, Brian Malarkey, who I I think is certainly one of the weakest chefs on this season. And while being a character just, just seems a little bit out of his league throughout and is a very controversial person. And I think many people think he's annoying. And frankly, it was a genius pick because yeah. Brian Malarkey absolutely crushed front of the house, even though things were very hectic and frantic as they always are at restaurant wars. He guided Re Gregory's restaurant into a little bit of grace. In addition to Gregory just being, you know, arguably the odds on favor to win this season. And, so somehow, despite the fact that Kevin had Melissa and Brian, two chefs that you talked about on his team, and he seemed to have drafted the best team, we got a situation where the weak team far and away defeated the stronger team. So like the show is so unpredictable in that way. You know, I think it's so different from a show like Survivor where there's a lot, sort of like betting odds frequently on who's going to win and who has great strategy. We're watching the show right now. One of the best players ever is currently dominating the game on Top Chef. 
it kind of doesn't matter. It, there, it, like there is a, such an, an incredible level of unpredictability to the show that makes it, I think, very renewable as an experience. And the funny thing about Brian Malarkey is that I heard Tom Kalikio say on Watch What Happens Live like three or four weeks ago, he said the wealthiest person among all of them is Brian Malarkey. And that's because Brian Malarkey has opened and like franchised about 20 restaurants. And so Brian Malarkey is in the restaurant business, which is not the same as being top chef. And I think we're actually seeing that play out a lot this season right now because I've eaten Brian Voltaggio's food. I'm like obsessed with him. And everyone, all the judges, like Brian Voltaggio's food is amazing, but he's usually just like not doing the challenge. Like he's usually just like cooking what he wants, how he wants, when he wants. And he just sort of like does not listen to what the prompt is. It's kind of like if you were an editor and he was your writer and he like turned in like, you know, an incredible 3000 word piece about like, you know, some really esoteric topic, but you're like, but I asked for 600 words on top chef. You'd be like really pissed. And I I think that's what's happening with him. And we're seeing with all these chefs who are coming back, who have had their own careers and various levels of success and experience. Some of them are like, I think really hungry for the title of top chef and therefore playing the game really well. Like Melissa is definitely like that. I think someone like Karen is really like that as well. I, you know, I even, even Gregory is like that too, but some of them I think are just like, fuck it, I'm doing me and like believe in, and like have believed in their own brand. And we're almost seeing like, is it the person and their style or is it like where you are in your career and like how amenable you are to like playing the game of top chef. And it's a great point. I think Kevin. And so ultimately spoiler last night on restaurant wars, Kevin went home because his restaurant was really overly ambitious, but he was just like, I am presenting my vision for this. And it really backfired. And like the judges didn't like it. But Kevin, I don't think has any regrets, right? Like he's just like, this is what I do. Yeah, he had a rare reality competition moment of accepting responsibility and ultimately essentially just stepping down from the competition. I mean, he more yeah. or less put himself in the line of fire and the judges had an easy decision there, which you never see. And I, I thought it was actually kind of overstated his his desire to sort of take the bullet for his yeah. team, but it was his fault and he deserved to go home. And that's the downside of winning that pitch and being the executive chef of restaurant wars. We've seen this 10, 12 times. The the person who seems like they're in the driver's seat, who is leading the best team in restaurant wars, who has a great approach to food and a great concept, just screwing it up. It just seemed like he made kind of mediocre food. And that's really all it takes is one time making mediocre food and you're off the show. Yeah. Project Runway is the same way. One day you're in, the next day you're out. And for both of those shows, which have been around for a long time, they really like, they thrive on talent. And Top Chef has gone to great lengths to be like, Tom decides on the food. Like the producers don't decide, which is very comforting. Tom and Padma are such a strong guiding hand and like locus of familiarity on these shows that it's it's pretty amazing. It's like they they don't have to be like the Ryan Seacrest or even like the kind of really over the top host, but they just provide so much stability. I absolutely love it. This season has just been really good for some, for some reason. It's all just really working and also hilarious, of course, to think, to be pondering chef made food and restaurants while in quarantine. Well, I mean, my final thought about it is that the other reason that it has worked so well is it is a true replacement for sports. I mean, it really does have that. I have the same relationship to it that I have to like Thursday night football or to the Thursday night NBA game. It's like, I have to tune in at 10. I want to know what happens. I don't want it spoiled. I need to know the outcome. Last night's episode was 75 minutes. It it was a sporting event in many ways. And at this exact moment, that's something that I've been craving. So it takes on a greater importance. 
you all should be watching Top Chef. It pairs really nicely with Survivor and The Challenge. Three competitive sports in the middle of your week, all on just on regular television. Uh, check out Top Chef on Bravo. And of course, check out more TV concierge to figure out what you should be watching. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.